You're listening to a podcast from BJSM. I'm with Pierre Holmick, who's an orthopaedic surgeon and the head of the arthroscopic centre at Amiga at the Amiga University Hospital. This is a major Scandinavian hospital with more than 12 orthopaedic surgeons. Pierre Holmick's trained as a surgeon, but has a lovely balance of having done critical rehab studies and very much an advocate of exercise as part of the solution for groin pain, which is a hot topic. And uh, Pierre, we've just come from your presentation at the AMSSM, where you spoke to over a thousand people in a packed out hall on groin pain and hip problems and clearly a hot topic. So welcome to the BJSM podcast. Thank you. Tell us what you see as being a major issue in the field at the moment and things for clinicians to think about when they're addressing groin pain. I think one of the main problems is that we have no consensus. Uh, There's uh, quite uh, a lot of different diagnoses and entities uh, mentioned in the literature, uh, but there's absolutely no consensus. Uh, Because of that, we have uh, worked uh, for some years trying to to build uh, a system uh, that we can put uh, most of the patients into and we work instead of diagnosis, that is a very precise term, then instead we use uh, the term entities. And we work with these clinical entities and and what we're doing is looking at the adductor muscles, which seems to be uh, the primary source of at least soft tissue generated uh, groin pain. If you look to the literature, for instance, in new papers by Extrand, you can find that uh, nearly two-thirds of all groin problems in elite football players in Europe at uh, the absolute top level was a doctor-related uh, groin problems. And then we have the iliopsoas uh, muscle that is a very important muscle for uh, both uh, the core stability and for the uh, hip and the groin, uh, and often is uh, a cause of, of groin pain as well. And finally, we have the uh, area around the uh, inguinal canal, where you have the uh, oblique muscles and you have the rectus abdominis. Uh, And of course, you have them all integrated in front of the uh, pubic symphysis with uh, the adductor muscles as well. This area is where uh, you have uh, problems known as, uh, to some known as sports hernias. We prefer the term uh, inguinal-related groin pain because in some situations you have something that looks like a hernia, sometimes you have an incipient hernia, sometimes you might even have uh, small tears uh, or lesions there. So uh, to sum up, you could say that we have the three clinical entities that we work from, uh, being the adductor-related groin pain, the lesoas-related groin pain, and the inguinal-related groin pain. The hip joint has, in recent years, uh, come more and more into focus, and... um, we can do hip arthroscopies now and we can do more uh, more and more sensible stuff in the joint, not just taking a look and taking out uh, loose bodies, but now we can do more and more with labrum, uh, we can treat the FAI, and we still need some evidence here, but there's no doubt that this is uh, something that we have to address uh, in the future. So, of course, there'll be some hip joint related uh, groin pain as well. Sometimes it's uh, pain from the hip joint itself, In other situations, it could be because of the biomechanical situation caused by uh, the FAI problems where there's decreased range of motion or certain motions that you can't do because of bones uh, colliding. You could also, as well as you can with any other joint, have a synovitis, an overuse of a joint. Uh, You can easily see if it's something that happens in the knee. It's swollen, it's warm, etc., etc. But if you have that in the hip joint, you'll never realize that. So... 
as soft tissue clinicians, as sports physicians and physios, you have to be aware that this hip joint could easily have a problem uh, that is uh, not easy to see for you, and you should be able to examine for that, both clinically and perhaps also with uh, imaging modalities. And so what are the solutions for the clinician? What do you advise young clinicians when they're trying to distinguish these different entities? Well, um, it's always good to know the literature. It's always good to read some of the papers and take a look and, and what have they done. And to do these uh, examinations, to, to, to establish these clinical entities uh, that are not very difficult, actually. It's, it's a few tests that we have sort of picked out and we know that they together can sort of describe whether you have this entity or not. But to do this, you have to know these tests. Uh, you have to know how to do them and you have to know to do them in a way that is reproducible both on an inter- and intra-tester level. And uh, we, we have described a set of these uh, tests, and I know that there's more tests in the literature from, from other groups as well. We use them to, do, to establish the entities. A new thing that we've been working with for the uh, last couple of years is uh, the strength testing, something that uh, points in the direction of maybe the AD doctor, AB doctor ratio being important in, uh, as a risk factor for, uh, for getting groin problems. And um, to measure that in a good way, you, know how, you should know how to measure the adductor strength and the abductor strength. And a good way to do that instead of having a big, expensive uh, Cybex isokinetic machine or something else like that, you can use uh, handheld uh, dynamometers. Uh, but there's lots of ways to do this, and we've been looking closely into that. And Christian Torbo, uh, he did his PhD in this, and uh, has established some uh, very simple and uh, uh, well reproducible uh, ways of, of doing it. And you can find them in in the literature. And I would recommend that that you use them, especially uh, to follow your patients when they are having problems uh, after your treatment, to see whether it works and when you can let them go back to sport. But you can always also use it uh, perhaps as a preventive measure. If you are taking care of a club with football players, it might be a good idea to measure the strength of AD doctors and AP doctors and take a look into the uh, figures that we have presented, see if it follows that and if you uh, might find some, some problems there with some weaknesses that you might want to adjust. And you want to share with the listeners before they get into your papers just a couple of the most popular tests that you find you know the key tests without having to go through all of them. A lot of a lot of the tests that we use are actually not that complicated. Uh, you have to know your anatomy, and uh, the anatomy in and around the groin uh, is a bit complicated. Lots of muscles are joining, very closely related. But if you look uh, at the anatomy books and you test your patients, uh, and you know what the muscles are doing, it's actually not that difficult. And the adductor longus muscle is, is, is very easy to identify because the tendon is, is very prominent there, and you can easily palpate it. Follow the adductor longus tendon uh, all the way up to the bone, and with the long-standing problems, which are the main problem here, uh, it's at the bone. It's not so much uh, the tendon or the muscle. It might be sore, it might be some problems there, but in most cases, it's up at the insertion. Uh, small area there where you will find that they have pain with palpation. And at the same time, you should do an adduction test, and we recommend that you do it with uh, uh, in the supine position with uh, extended uh, hip and, and knee, 
and then you put uh, the resistance uh, between the feet, between the ankles. Um, and if they have pain, then remember to ask where the pain is, because it might be because they have pain somewhere else, because they are really stressing to do the adduction. But if it's the same spot as you put your finger before, then you have, uh, you're very close to having a patient with adduction-related groin problems. We also palpate the psoas at the level of the sias or uh, just under the ligament, uh, medial to the uh, sartorius, lateral to the uh, vessels. Uh, you can palpate the psoas uh, either uh, of these two places. And if you do it under the ligament, it's the only place where the psoas is uh, subcutaneously placed. And you can easily feel the muscle under your fingers when the patient lifts the leg. And you can palpate for pain there. And how do you suggest people rule out incipient hernias? The way we do it is uh, two things. We palpate around the pubic tubercle uh, in the area where the uh, transverse abdominis and the oblique muscles are inserting. And we palpate for the conjoint tendon there and in this area to see whether there's pain. And then we have the patient standing and we palpate uh, through the scrotal skin and we find the uh, external opening. And if you put your finger in the external opening, had the patient do a valsalva, um, you usually won't find a hernia as such, but if you palpate and they're sore there, and especially you will find they're sore in the lower lateral part, uh, and you might even, if you have very sensitive fingers, may able to be able to palpate if there's a soft spot there in the uh, posterior wall. Uh, I should say that this test has not been uh, validated uh, as such, and it has not been uh, tested for reproducibility, but this is the test that we use clinically uh, now. Now, you, you advocate for a very systematic, standardised physical exam in these patients, don't you, Pierre? That's correct. Um, we know from a from, uh, couple of papers uh, with large series now, uh, from Greg Lovell, from Chris Bradshaw, and from ourselves, uh, that we have often more than one cause of the pain in the groin. Uh, with these long-standing uh, patients and therefore it's very important that you examine sort of all of the possible causes because you might go on treating a doctor related problems and then you might miss uh, the psoas problem or whatever then you won't have a happy patient and you won't get where you want to so it's very important it's important to also examine the low back uh, to examine the hip joint and to know the tests there it, i mean it's the same problem with the hip arthroscopy orthopedic surgeon he should know how to test for all the soft tissue injuries as well because they are clearly differential diagnosis to the patient with FAI. And on the other hand, if you're not an orthopedic surgeon doing hip scopes, then you should of course also be able to test for the hip joint and to send the patient to the relevant orthopedic surgeon if you find that the hip joint is the prominent uh, structure. So it's very important to do these uh, examinations uh, in a standardized manner and remember to get all the way around the pelvis uh, whenever you examine these patients. It takes a bit more time but it's rewarding and at the end of the day uh, you'll get a much better uh, treatment for these patients uh, because if you spend some time up front uh, you will know much better what you can do and what you need to do afterwards and you can better follow up and, and give the patients the right advice instead of missing and then discovering and missing and discovering, etc. And so just to spell out what you mean by working way right around the pelvis? Yeah, um, I can tell you my standard examination is I examine the 80 doctors, uh, the iliosoas, 
uh, the lower abdomen, I palpate both the rectus abdominis, the insertion, and the oblique muscles, and I do the scrotal tests as I described. Uh, I palpate the symphysis joint, uh, the pubic ramus, both inferior and superior. I examine the hip joint in a standardized manner uh, with impingement test, anterior and posterior. I do a prehension test. I do a range of motion. And then I turn the patient over on, uh, prone. Uh, in the prone position. And uh, I examine for uh, the uh, lower back, uh, the SI joint, um, and uh, also for the sacrotubal ligament. I put the patient on the side and then I test for the, the area around the trochanter. I test for the gluteus uh, muscles, especially the gluteus medius, which is, in my opinion, extremely important also in, in, in uh, this situation, especially if they had problem for a long time. So I tested, I palpated, and I also do an isometric test, uh, strength test uh, for this muscle, uh, which we often find is, is weak with these patients. That's great, Pierre. We'll highlight that section on the outline and uh, it's a great walk around the groin as close to video as we can get when you're doing a podcast and let's move to treatment and uh, we've got a patient who's had groin pain and they've got a sport like hockey or soccer where it's a big problem and they've had conservative treatment for two or three months and take us down one of the scenarios and outline the treatment I think some of the, a lot of the patients that I see with um, with groin problems in, for instance, soccer, would be a patient with a doctor-related groin pain. Um, some of them have had it for a couple of months. Some of, of them will, if you really get into it, tell you that, well, it actually started a year ago and then it came back and then I had it again and then I came back and, and stuff like that. And when you look into these patients, you often find that they have both a doctor-related and um, and uh, it is always related. So a patient with both of these entities, uh, we would uh, start a treatment program after we have done some, we do uh, an x-ray. I can tell you, we do an x-ray with all patients, standing uh, AP of the pelvis, 15 degrees internal rotation. And then we do, um, from the side, uh, x-ray as well, also with 15 degrees uh, internal rotation. We do that because we want to uh, ex- look at the uh, hip joint as well and make sure that if there's some FAI, not necessarily giving problems, but might give some decreased range of motion, that we take that uh, into uh, consideration as well. Very often we have, uh, for instance, a soccer player with uh, both a doctor-related and illusorious-related uh, groin problems. This often happens uh, when the player had the problem for a very long time, uh, tried to play, uh, had some breaks from playing, had some treatment of various kinds and still have the problems. The iliosoas very often gets in there secondarily to sort of be the big brother trying to sort out the problems and then it gets uh, overused and sore as well. So we often find that these two go goes hand in hand with the long-standing problems and you of course have to take care of both of them. Uh, Before we start the treatment, we uh, usually have an x-ray of the pelvis and uh, also um, from the side of the hip joint just to evaluate the hip joint and also to make sure that there's uh, no bony abnormalities, tumors or anything else that we should uh, take care of. So the treatment that we do is an exercise treatment basically. Uh, We have in in a randomized trial shown uh, 
an exercise treatment to be uh, superior to the more traditional passive uh, old fissure therapy. And we know from uh, the past 10-15 years that we've been working with this, uh, that this works. Um, I know that adductor tenotomies are uh, used quite a lot, but generally I would say that we hardly ever do adductor tenotomies, and we have still have some quite good results without that. It's very rare that, that we need to use surgery for the adductors. And the lysoas we do uh, also exercise uh, treatment, but sometimes we do supplementary steroid injection along the tendon, uh, especially if they get too sore with the treatment. We have experienced that we can do it ultrasound guided one or two times. It will alleviate the pain for some time, and then we have uh, a chance to get the muscle stronger. And as we do that, uh, we get good results as well. The, the iliosoas uh, might, in some situations, be very stubborn and very difficult to treat. And from the hip scopes, we know that we can do partial uh, tenotomy or lengthening uh, via the scope. Uh, and it, it might be something that you need to do in, in very rare cases. With the incipient hernia, the inguinal-related problems, uh, this is just this is a bit more difficult. Uh, we always try exercise treatment program first with abdominal exercises and the basic package of pelvic stabilization exercises. Uh, we of course believe in core stability, but we do not believe in core stability alone. Uh, only doing the more traditional or simple core stability exercises will not help. We know that. And it's also been shown in, in a couple of trials actually done uh, among others by Janssen from the Netherlands. Um, but we know that uh, we should, of course, use the elements of core stability, but strengthening exercises using more heavy strengthening, both isometrics, uh, eccentric and concentric exercises is probably uh, necessary. We usually do exercise program for the incipient hernia first, but if it doesn't work and we still have pain after, depending a little bit on who the patient is, but after four, six, eight weeks, uh, then we might uh, want to do surgery. Before we do surgery, we always uh, confirm the diagnosis by an ultrasound, and we need to see on the ultrasound that there's a soft posterior wall, a compression uh, of the vessels and the inguinal canal when you do the Valsalva to make sure that this is the problem. And when you say, depending a bit on the patient, um, you, if it's an elite player under pressure, you might go a bit earlier for the surgery. Of course. Uh, if it is an elite player, uh, if it is a player that does nothing else but play, for instance, soccer, uh, who has uh, done a lot of exercises and are strong and has uh, make a living from it, then you, of course, will have to do it a bit faster. But on the other hand, it's, it's very important that you... Uh, try the, ex the uh, exercise treatment first, even with the elite players, because you don't need to have a worse treatment just because you're elite. Yeah. And just to be clear, that was about the incipient hernia? That was about the incipient hernia. That's where we do uh, surgery. It's very rare that we do surgery with the adductor problems uh, and the psoas problems. Uh, I would say we never do it with the adductor problems, and we have to do it in a few cases with the, with the iliopsoas. And Pierre, as we bring this to a close, Everyone listening is going to be thinking about FAI, and you've touched on it a few times, and I know it's a subject for a whole other podcast, but um, how do I know as a clinician if I've got someone who's got FAI that needs to go for surgery? How do I, how do I make that decision? Well, uh, you could say that 
you'll find FAI in a lot of x-rays, in a lot of athletes, especially male. Um, and we know that uh, the, the incidence of FAI is much higher than the incidence of complaints from FAI. Uh, so if you find FAI on the x-ray, uh, don't panic. Don't go for the uh, hip surgeon right away. But instead, examine the patients, as I said, all around the pelvis. See where is the problem. And if you have a suspicion that it comes from the hip joint, uh, primarily, then of course you should go into more detail with your examination. Uh, you might want to do an MRI. You can do an MRI autogram or an MRI 3 Tesla scan, which is equally good. Um, you could do a diagnostic injection, best done ultrasound guided, uh, 8 to 10 cc's of lidocaine or likewise into the hip joint. You can see that it gets into the hip joint and the hip joint only. And then you can see whether it, it uh, alleviates the pain for a couple of hours. This would be some of the uh, tests and examinations uh, that you want to do to make sure uh, if it is or is not the, the hip joint that is involved in the pain. And I understand that's what you do. You assess the patient thoroughly, including injection, before you consider surgery in the hip? Yeah. We do uh, hip scopes uh, ourselves in the clinic, and, and I've been doing that for, for, for many years now. Uh, but uh, all our patients have been assessed, uh, at least with the diagnostic injection, and uh, a lot of them with the MRI as well. You can always discuss whether you should do both. It's also a question of resources, etc., uh, etc. Et but there's no doubt that there's uh, quite a large group of patients with FAI that need uh, treatment uh, of the RFI and, and have uh, good benefit from um, hypotroscopies and labral reconstructions, etc., etc. But uh, this is, as you said, another podcast. Okay. So have you got a couple of summary sort of things you want to emphasize just to close off? Well, I think being around the groin area now for, for 20 years, um, I see. I have. I see. There's a tendency that things get into circles. You see the same papers sort of popping up again and again and again. Uh, level four or five, uh, and and using different terms, different examination methods, not describing it properly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think it would be very good if both researchers and clinicians would take a look at the newer literature, uh, learn from the examination techniques that have been validated or at least uh, been found reproducible, both uh, the clinical tests and the strength tests. Uh, maybe look to the different imaging modalities and look whether uh, you should use this or that. Um, and from that, sort of put the patients into another perspective than the traditional one where you say, oh, this is athletic pubalgia, whatever that is, or this is uh, adductor strain or tendinosis or whatever. Instead, try to take a look at, at, at the idea that you could say, okay, everyone who has pain related to the adductors, uh, you put them in the adductor-related groin group. And you can test that. That's not difficult. You don't know for sure what, what's wrong with them, but now you have them in one box. And from there, we can work. And we are trying now currently to separate some of these patients out in more specific and precise diagnosis. But we haven't got these diagnoses in a lot of these patients yet. So instead, we're working with clinical entities. So learn these examination techniques and try to work with the clinical entities and use it in your papers as well. It would be very helpful for your colleagues who should read your papers that they know what you're talking about. So if you could, as a start, 
use this model. And of course, this is not perfect and it needs to be developed. And I'm sure that in 10 years it has been totally changed, especially if other researchers will use it as well. Hope uh, we have been fortunate enough to see that especially the adductor-related uh, groin uh, entity has been used by several authors uh, by now. And you're getting good results with exercise as the primary treatment for those, as in your Lancet paper. Absolutely. This is the way uh, we prefer to do it, and, and we still have some very good experience with that. Great. Well, look, Pierre, I'll let you go from this AMSSM meeting in Atlanta, where it was, as I said, you were a huge hit, and uh, it was a great meeting, but it'll let you fly home to Copenhagen, to your beautiful part of the world, and get back to your family. Thanks for your work on BJSM as an associate editor, and for doing the podcast today. My pleasure. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.